today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Have we learned from what's gone on in the last year and a half or so? Uh, remember the the debate about using the Emergencies Act uh, when the, the Prime Minister invoked it, of course, with the uh, uh, revolt that was going on, the insurrection that was going on in Ottawa. And and part of that inquiry was about the act itself. And, and I think there were some serious questions raised, not about whether it should have been used, but exactly what's contained in the act and is relevant here in 2023. Uh, there's a fascinating op-ed piece by our next guest that talks about this, and uh, it's worthy of discussion given the fact that as we turn the news on every night here, we're looking at natural disasters in Nova Scotia and, and certainly in Alberta with wildfires, and we've seen incidences like that. Uh, is an act like this something that could be and should be used in its current form? Is it even going to be effective? Let's bring the author of the piece in there. She is a Nomi Claire Lazar, who is a full professor in public and international affairs at the University of Ottawa and author of the book, Out of Joint Power, uh, Crisis and the Rhetoric of Time. Uh, professor, thank you, as always, for joining us on the program. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for the invitation, Bill. You talked about this uh, in, in, in the op-ed piece, and I wanted to maybe start with this, about the relevance of the Emergencies Act. And I think Justice Rolo actually talked about that in his summary of, of all the, 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 the testimony that he received over a number of years, uh, as to maybe we need to have a look at that act now and, and look at what's going on in the world today. And, and maybe you know, there's, there's a way to, to modify this act so it can be applicable. It is, in fact, an emergency act. And we're going through emergencies right now. Does this act, as it stands, uh, become an effective tool for us, or does it need to be revamped? Okay. So first of all, I think I think that we need to di differentiate between two kinds of questions here. The first one is how well did the act do in addressing the emergency that faced us back in 2022, and the second is are we ready for the things which are coming next? So after the Rouleau Commission, there were a lot of scholars, a lot of pundits talking about uh, uh, whether the act was used properly and also what needed to change in the act itself. Should we face another public order emergency like the one that uh, we saw in Ottawa? But the fact is, we also need to be prepared for what uh, for what's coming. Emergencies are becoming more complex. They're becoming more frequent. And so the second big question is, uh, how do we how do we you or how do how should we be looking at our emergency institutions and making sure that they're ready uh, going forward? Uh, there's one other little thing I just want to point out. So you you mentioned that there are emergencies right now uh, because of climate issues in both Alberta and Nova Scotia. So part of the complexity with uh, with all of this is that most of most emergencies in Canada fall under provincial emergency legislation, not the Federal Emergencies Act. And a lot of the issues that I think we need to address are at the provincial level. And that was part of the debate about the, the Ottawa insurrection, wasn't it, Professor? Uh, who had jurisdiction, who had responsibilities, et cetera. And, and it seemed, at least in some people's minds, to be a gray area with this legislation anyway. That's right. So uh, one thing that's quite interesting is if you look at other countries' emergency laws, Frequently, the laws uh, are written in such a way that uh, a, a strong federal government could step in uh, if a provincial government went uh, went kind of off the rails. But because of the way our federation is structured, uh, which has tended to be, you know, for the most part, with some exceptions, of course, uh, uh, sort of relatively friendly, the federal act is structured in such a way that a province 
um, has, has to either invite the federal government in and ask for help, or else if the, an emergency stretches across the country, the federal government has to consult. And so you're right, we did see some issues uh, during the convoy crisis around um, uh, uh, cooperation and and uh, different jurisdictions doing their uh, their duty, uh, or or else sort of offloading offloading uh, uh, their their duties onto other jurisdictions. Now I worry about this specifically because as politics becomes more polarized in Canada, we can foresee situations where a provincial government, for example, would try to score political points. Uh, by uh, either doing or not doing something with their emergency law, uh, instead of having all levels of government working together to uh, to address a situation. So I think that we one area that needs attention is this question of interjurisdictional cooperation in complex emergencies. And at the moment, uh, that exists on paper, but I'm not convinced that it's really robustly there in practice. Well, and it's it's been an ongoing debate, probably only since the Confederation, really. You know about who's supposed to do what, who's responsible for making the ultimate decisions, and things like that. But it's, it's as you point out in the piece, it's extremely important that we get some clarity on that, isn't there, to to find out exactly you know how things are going to be addressed when when occurrences like this occur. I mean, we're going to get into definitions and some of the stuff that was brought up as contentious points then too. But there's got to be a sense of cooperation uh, that that is attainable, I guess, as long as both sides understand that they've got a role to play here. I think that's right. Uh, but there's another issue at the provincial level that really needs to be on the table. And that's uh, that most provincial emergency law in Canada, it looks a lot like that old War Measures Act that we all love to hate. So uh, the, if you look, for example, at Alberta's emergency law, so they're under a state of emergency right now. And that piece of legislation basically says, if the uh, lieutenant governor and council, so basically if the government thinks that there even might be an emergency, they can declare one. It says nothing about whether that has to be a reasonable uh, belief. And then basically they can do anything they want. And then at the end, it says you can't even sue them as long as they acted in good faith. So here we've got basically a piece of legislation that basically gives the government unbridled power with zero accountability. And that is true of many pieces of emergency legislation at the provincial level across Canada. So that's the other sort of mismatch between the federal and the provincial level is that the uh, federal government has this act with all of this accountability, but the provincial acts are really seriously terrifying. And I think Canadians need to pay attention to that because we're, you know, as we're already seeing, those provincial emergency laws are going to be invoked more and more often to deal with these climate emergencies. So uh, yes, right now we're seeing premiers mostly use that legislation well, but do we really want to wait until something goes horribly wrong, especially again, taking into account that politics are becoming more extreme in Canada before we look at the lack of accountability at the provincial level? Well, it's not quite an apples to oranges comparison, but I mean, we had a similar situation where there was some concern and, and I think some controversy about, you know, where those lines are drawn. Uh, and it had to do with environmental issues and, and you know, the, the uh, some of the federal policies to deal with that. And as you may recall, a number of the premiers actually took the government to court and said that, uh, that you know, climate change and think that it's a provincial issue uh, as if, you know, everything stops at the provincial border. Uh, as opposed to, as you say, a much more broad-based national approach to this. But doesn't the act uh, in, in itself 
suggest that, that this is anything like this is going to have to be invoked. It has to be a national, the very definition, uh, uh, they say, of a national security issue here. Uh, means it has to be that much more widespread about that. And, and I know that Justice Rolo said that particular phrase and that, that definition of what you know constitutes a national security, that's got to be addressed. This was written a number of years ago. And, and like the old phrase says, the times they are a-changing. Oh, that is certainly true. Um, and uh, myself and Professor Jocelyn Stacy from UBC uh, have just finished editing a uh, new uh, journal volume that looks at that issue uh, specifically. So uh, I, I'd invite any of your listeners to uh, get in touch with me over uh, my website, for example, or I'll post a link up there if they're interested uh, in learning more about the different perspectives on how to fix that. Uh, they're beyond the national security issue with the public order emergency. Another thing that we really need to take another look at are the other categories of emergency in the act. So we've been focused on the public order emergency, but that's one of four kinds of emergency in the act. And two of them are international emergencies and war emergencies. And we all know that it's not just national security that's changed. It's also the nature of warfare and the nature of threats from the uh, from outside our country. Uh, so uh, I've been speaking to some uh, people who think a lot about, about the military, retired generals, et cetera, and uh, there does seem to be some consensus that the way that things are drafted right now uh, isn't going to uh, isn't going to cut it. In some ways, we'll be not careful enough, and in some ways, we'll be too restrictive as we deal with threats from the you know international threats, and as we deal with the uh, possibility sometime in the future of new kinds of warfare. Well, and that was brought up during the, the Rolo thing, wasn't it? I mean, you know, the, the focus and, and thrust, and maybe even part of the motivation. Uh, for that Canada Security Intelligence Services Act uh, was was basically international terrorism, uh, because we'd seen so many horrific incidences of it. But you know, most of those agencies will now tell us that our greatest threat is internal, and and so we've got to focus on that and the focus, and and also environmental issues, as you've talked about right at the beginning of our conversation here. Uh, I don't know that uh, that the people that drafted the original version of this act foresaw that things were going to move to the point they are now, that that, that some of these environmental issues uh, can also have the significant impact on, on national security in so many different ways, too, uh, which only begs, I guess, that there's got to be some sort of a revision of this act. To, I don't know if it has to be more broad-based or more focused. I, I guess that's uh, up to the individuals that want to uh, take on the task. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of directions, uh, a lot of, 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 of ways in which in, in which we, we need to pay attention to this. Uh, and I do think it's critical that we do that work as soon as possible and that we don't wait to fix these things until we're actually in the middle of a situation. Uh, because uh, history shows that when states, when countries make emergency law on the fly, uh, they don't do it very well. So now is the time, now is the time for us to think soberly about all of these uh, gaps and problems uh, in cooperation, uh, in 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 powers, uh, in accountability, uh, and 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 think through a, a system of emergency institutions in Canada that's capable of dealing with these complex uh, climate threats as they as they move forward. Do we are we 
equipped uh, with the right tools, Professor, to actually do something like this and to take something on? I mean, you know, we talked, I think, briefly about the American example. And, you know, they, they have a special federal department that deals with these sorts of things. And, and of course, there's Homeland Security that deals with, with the, you know, those sorts of threats. But uh, even with environmental issues, you know, they, 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 here's the department, here's the protocol. Our people will be there tomorrow to, to see what we can do. Uh, I don't know that we're that prepared for that and we that focused uh, for, the, for these emergencies as they come up. Well, there is a, a pretty rich emergency management uh, uh, structure across Canada. So municipalities are do you know have emergency management uh, protocols and things in place. What I worry about a little more is uh, uh, whether we're prepared for the complexity of the sorts of crises that are coming our way. So crises tend not to stay in their lane. Uh, so, uh, you know, natural disasters can quickly turn into economic disasters or pandemics, uh, and all of this stuff has political blowback as well. So we, you know, I've, I've mentioned, I think, uh, extremism once or twice and polarization, and it, it, those things are also connected to climate and climate policy. All of these things are interconnected. So one of the things I worry about is that we're going to be addressing diverse emergencies and crises individually instead of understanding them uh, as interconnected. There's one more thing I wanted to uh, to to bring up, and so when we hear of of climate and states of emergency together, some listeners might be thinking about the call across the world in different jurisdictions for declarations of climate emergency. So uh, Canada has made one. Several several cities, municipalities within Canada have made them. And there is some confusion around what that actually means, because it sure looks like a declaration of emergency, but it actually is not in accordance with any piece of law. So there's this question, like, what do those things actually mean? Do they actually make new powers available, et cetera? Uh, so I've become quite concerned about these because I think they do generate quite a lot of confusion uh, and perhaps uh, water down the uh, or, or rather change the meaning of what a state of emergency actually is. I think part of the source of this is that both crises and emergencies are, uh, you know, share this idea of urgency, right? So we may think that an emergency is like a more serious crisis, but that's not the case. So you can think of the crisis as the problem and a state of emergency as a set of tools to address the problem. But some problems don't need that state of emergency set of tools to address. It doesn't mean they're less serious. It just means there are other ways to address a crisis. And I'm just not con convinced that governments as they stand have made use of all of the available tools. I'm not convinced that that emergency tools are yet warranted to confront a uh, climate crisis. So I worry that these declarations of climate emergency are leading also to a lot of confusion about what an emergency is and also uh, 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 detracting attention from working through the democratic process to uh, to achieve the change that we need. Well, exactly. But hopefully this paper is going to serve as a catalyst for that sort of conversation and hopefully move the, the, the ball forward on this. Uh, by the way, uh, just in reference to, you know, the other paper that you have been working on, uh, if the people want to get in touch with the professor, you can do it on Twitter at, uh, at Nomi Claire Lazar. And uh, that'll be a great contact point, and you can have a further discussion about that. Uh, always interesting, always educational, and always thought-provoking when we have you on the program. Thanks so much for this, Professor. Thanks for much for, so much for having me on and wishing everyone a good day and hope everyone stays cool in this hot climate weather. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.